something. So, but yeah, let's uh, let's get into uh, Matthew twenty-one today. Of course, is Palm Sunday, the rejoicing of the coming of the Lord. Hmm. And so, Father, we come before you, and we rejoice. In the midst of a rainy morning, we rejoice that you have come. And there's so much to learn during this season of Scripture. Holy Spirit, I just ask that you ready our hearts and our minds and our spirits to receive what you're speaking to us in this hour. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, Matthew 21. Now when they drew near Jerusalem and came to Bethpage at the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Loose them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord has need of them, and immediately he will send them. All this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you lowly and sitting on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. So the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them. They brought the donkey and the colt, laid their clothes on them, and set him on them. And a very great multitude spread their clothes on the road. Others cut down branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Then the multitudes who went before and those who followed cried out, saying, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he had come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? So the multitude said, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. All right. So we have, of course, the story of Palm Sunday leading into Holy Week. But there's, you know, there's a context to understanding this story, right? What we do know here is this, that Jesus is entering into the city preceding or right at the beginning. It's a little difficult to really determine in the text during the time of Passover, right? And what is Passover? I mean, this is the story and the reality of a liberation from a physical place of bondage. And in biblical times, and even in Jerusalem today, right now, there is a hustle and there is a bustle in the streets, right? You have to get the leaven out of your homes, the yeast out of your homes. Today, the ultra-Orthodox will actually take any, anything that is of, of a food and that might have the potential to have yeast. They actually would take them, throw them in uh, big garbage dumpsters and light them on fire. Like, to be that serious, right? Your sin being consumed by fire. They're doing that right now, or rather they would have done it in the last couple of days. Now, of course, 2,000 years ago, there's a hustle and bustle because, you know, you need to find, right, your, the lamb, which was usually taken from, interesting enough, the village, the town of Bethlehem. And so there is all of this. There's a gathering of people. There's a rejoicing and a celebration that the children of God have been delivered from a place of bondage. And it's in this context and in this hope and in this memory that Jesus makes his triumphal entry into the city. And it says here that he does this from the Mount of Olives. And so 
For those of you who have, who have not seen this or have experienced this before, here's an aerial shot of where we're going from, okay? Um, if you take a look in the center of the picture here, right, the golden dome right there, that is the Dome of the Rock, which is, that is where the, the place of the, essentially the mercy seat, the inner chambers of the, whole, of, of the temple would have been at the times of Jesus, okay? And if you just go east, or if you go right, but if you go east, you're going to see a road that's there that kind of loops around, and you see a bunch of trees that are there. Everyone sees that? Because I don't have a laser pointer. Can everyone see what I'm talking about? All right. That right there is the famous Mount of Olives in the Garden of Gethsemane. It's right there, okay? So here we go. Thank you, Google. Um, so we have the Mount of Olives. We have the entrance into the city. And Jesus is praying at the Mount of Olives. He gets on the donkey. He goes and rides down the donkey, and he enters into the city. This is 700 feet plus. That's it. This is it a major journey? And it's not a major mountain. I'm telling you, if you're out of shape, okay, it's a major mountain. But it's not that much of a walk. I mean, we would probably classify it in America as like a decent hill. All right? This is not like a mountain. This is like, all right, you're walking up a hill, okay? A decent hill, right? So he gets on the donkey, and he is going to, I don't want to say walk, but ride him, the donkey, down uh, and go into uh, what's known as the Eastern Gate. Before we get there, here, up on top of the horizon there, is the Mount of Olives. And this is very powerful. What separates the city the Mount of Olives is a valley known as the Kidron Valley. This is where Jesus is going to go across. And this Kidron Valley is the location where David leaves Jerusalem to flee Saul and also to flee his brothers. And he goes into the Kidron Valley, and that Kidron Valley dumps out into the Judean desert. This valley is also going to be the place where the Scripture says prophetically, that one day, right, when Messiah comes back, he places his feet on the Mount of Olives. That there will be living waters that will flow from the Mount of Olives, essentially, and down the Kidron Valley that's going to cause the desert to bloom one day. Right? That's all it right there. Now, the grand, funny, interesting thing here is in the New Testament, there is a power and in the prophets, there is a power to the location. Where he places his feet, it says that will be the first that are raised. Okay? So in Judaism and Christianity, we know that when Jesus returns, the graves are going to open, amen? And the first to be raised? The first to be raised is the belief that the people that are right there, or rather the dead bodies that are right there at the location of Jesus' return, will be the first to come out of the graves. So, if you want to get a grave and be the first of those that are being resurrected, if you will, on the base of the Mount of Olives, it costs you about $20,000. Okay? Just so you know. But those are some of the graves that are there. They, the graves have been there for, for a good thousand years. Now, the grand irony in all of this is um, in the year 1520, uh, when uh, the Muslim Empire is, is, is really taking over Jerusalem, although they did it a little earlier, but they're going to block up the eastern gate in the year 1520, right? Why? In Judaism and in Christianity, there's the belief 
that the Messiah will come down the Mount of Olives and go through the Eastern Gate to set himself up at the temple. And so the Muslim Empire, in order, right, talk about like, you know, religious multiculturalism here, right? Uh, so in order so that that would not happen, they literally blocked up the gate to the, to, to, to the, to the city from that location. And it's like, man, it's, it's actually kind of cool because if, if you are blocking it, it must mean somewhere inside of you, you believe it might happen. And what's really comical is like, please, when the Son of God comes riding on the clouds, I don't think a couple rocks are going to be holding him back, right? The sounding of the shofar and the great earthquake and the dead are going to rise. It's going to be epic, people, right? But that's a little bit of a context. That's, that's the scene of the story, okay? And really, all of this, because, you know, you're, we sometimes forget, you know, it's like, well, why, why all these like, little intricate details? Right? Jesus, to be the Son of God and to be the Messiah, would have to, and he did, he would have to fulfill everything that was written about him, right? To be the one. And so this fulfills uh, Zechariah 9 9, right? Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation, lowly. And riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey, right? This is the fulfillment of scripture of the prophet, okay? So we take a look at Matthew 21, and we, and we see what's going on here. There's a lot of powerful things for, yes, Jesus' first return, and also for his second return. One day, even as Jose was, was speaking into that today. It says here, right, that the people were receiving him, and they say, Hosanna to the son of David, and blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. There's a couple of things to unpack here. Blessed is he, right, Baruch haba b'shem Adonai. Jesus himself says that he will not return to earth until you, Jerusalem, say this. I know it's very cute and it's very nice that like, we need to preach the gospel uh, to the, uh, the, the, the people in the middle of the Amazon. And I believe that, and we should. But even though the whole earth, grab this, even if the whole earth receives and hears the gospel, it's not the final chapter. Jesus says, I will not return to earth until you, Jerusalem, the Jewish people, really, say, Blessed is you, Yeshua, Jesus, who comes in the name of the Lord. When that happens, you get the return of the Messiah. Okay? And there's so much to do with that. And some of you have heard that. I mean, that's why I think probably the, one of the least reached people groups on planet Earth are Jewish people. Right? We all know Jewish people. And you probably don't say the gospel to them. Right? They are, I don't want to say, I mean, all people and that his house is a house of all nations. Amen. But he's not returning when all the Italians say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Okay? He's not coming back when all the Americans say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. He's coming back with fire in his eyes to return to his place, to his throne room. 
when his people, his firstborn people say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Right? I mean, that's part of the, the power and the, the, the importance of interceding uh, for our brothers in, of Abraham, right? Um, but, you know, on top of that, the context here, right? The, the, the city is saying, Hoshi'ana, right? Na meaning please. Hoshi'a meaning save us. This is amazing. This is a group of people, not a group of people, a good portion of a city that is saying, please, come and save us. Yeah. And a week later, they're saying, crucify him. Why? Everyone wants to be saved. Some of us don't want to be saved from the things that we're supposed to be saved from. Everybody wants to be saved. That entire city wanted to be saved. We in this house want to be saved, but some of us may in fact like that city, like that week. We really don't want to be saved from the things that we need to be saved from. This is conditional Christianity. This is, I get saved, I have become born again, I'm good to go. No. Because a week later, you would say, crucify him. Get away from me. I don't know you. I don't want to know the power of the death and resurrection of Jesus. You see, we want to be saved, but Jesus is telling to us, okay, you say, oh, please save me? Save me from what? Save me from eternal damnation? Save me from the flesh. Save me from my sin. Save me from everything and anything that is lifting itself up above the cross in my life. That's what he wants to save you from, man. But! 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 Things go on, and Jesus doesn't seem to be the guy that we thought he was and what he was going to do for us. We can say crucify him. Because what are the, what, what is Jerusalem saying here? Come save us. Come and defeat the Romans. Set up your own political kingdom. That's what they, that's what they want to be saved from. But Jesus said, no, I'm coming to save you from yourselves. I'm coming to save you from yourselves. And I just, I'm getting stirred up, man. I'm just feeling the spirit. I wasn't even thinking about this when I was putting this together. That there are believers in our day that want to get saved. And they do get saved. But they don't get saved from the very thing that Jesus wants to save you from. The fear. The anxiety. The hurt. The bitterness. The greed. The lust. The pornography. The worry. Convenience. Convenience. I'm going to hold on to the things that I want to hold on to. Jesus is like, no, man. I haven't come to save you just for salvation until eternal life. I've come to save you from yourself. 
as I was saying earlier in worship, Jesus never tries to convince. He never really tries to convince you to follow him. Some of us got saved through convincing. That's not Jesus. You get saved through convincing. You just got saved so you don't go to hell. Jesus doesn't play that game. Jesus is like, if you want to follow me, you follow me. If you follow me, you now are going to die to the self. I mean, I mean, it's like almost every time he opens up his mouth, there's this energy. Yeah, if you follow me, do not bury your mother or father. You got to just come after, come after me, by the way. Uh, to the rich man, uh, you have to sell everything you have, give to the poor, and then follow me. In Matthew 8, verses 18, he says it like this. And when Jesus saw great multitudes about him, he gave a command to depart to the other side. Then a certain scribe came and said to him, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Uh, look, there's going to be a correction here in a moment. Uh, we don't want to get to the correction 2,000 years ago. Let's just talk about today. How many of us are like, Teacher, I will go wherever you go. I will go with you wherever you go as long as it does not disrupt my convenience. I will go with you wherever you want me to go as long as I don't have to deal and give up all the things in my life that provide a false sense of comfort to me. Then I'll do it. So this guy, with all due respect, I'm putting myself on the altar. This guy is already in a better place than I am. Because he's like, I will go wherever you go. I'm in my let's go. Come, have a come to Jesus moment. I mean, I like to say I will go wherever he tells me to go, but let's just be real. Like, you know, there's, there's, a, there's a, search me, O oh Lord, for my presumptuous sins, right? So the, I'm just being clear. This guy 2,000 years ago is already a couple steps ahead of me. And what is Jesus' response? And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Then another of his disciples said to him, Lord, let me go first and bury my father. Jesus said to him, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. Right? He's not like, oh, thank you. You will go wherever I tell you to go. So yeah, come on, man. Let's go. Let's get some pita. He's like, no. Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests. But the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And it will be likened unto you as well. It is count the cost of discipleship. Count the cost of truly following Jesus. Because he's coming not just to save you, to get you into eternal life. He's coming to save you from yourself and from your culture and from your own ideas and your own places of convenience and comfort. That's how we can be free. Can I get an amen in the house of the Lord? Amen. And look, everyone's different. Everyone is different. That's why some people, he says, you can't bury your mother and father. To another person, he may say, he might have said, like, go bury your mother and father and then come with me. To another person, he says, uh, you have to sell all of your belongings and then you can come and follow me. To another person, he could have been like, no, nah, you don't have to sell all of your things. But you have to bury, you can't bury your mother and father. Like, he, he doesn't use the same thing for every person. Okay? Like, look, everyone's got their own junk. Everyone's different. 
My wife may say it differently, but I, with me, I'm just being transparent with you. Like, with, for me, money has never really been a, 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 a chain on my life. Okay? I've never been like, oh, I need to have more money. I've never been that way. I just, I, my, like I said, maybe my wife or maybe my close family would say something differently, but I've never been a person that's like, oh, I need to get more money. I need to do this. I need to do that. It just hasn't really been an issue in my life. So the Lord doesn't really bring that to the table because he knows if he needs the money, wants to use the money, or he wants this, I want to do it. I want to be like, here you go. But there are other things. There's other things. He's like, you have to lay this down. Really? i got to lay that down? And if I voice it to you, it would be silly things. But like, your silly is my serious. Right? And your serious is my silly. Like, you can't lay money down before the Lord, really? Like, you're concerned about tithing? Really? Like, the Lord is going to abundantly provide for your needs. But it's silly in my mind, but it's serious in your mind. But what is completely silly in your mind towards me is something that is extremely serious for me because we're all made different. Amen? And so this is what it comes down to. Whatever the Lord is knocking on your heart, it's this, man. Ooh, wrong one. Whatever you may cherish, whatever you may put before the Lord, he wants that. He wants that. Now, what I cherish is different than what you cherish. And what you cherish may, in fact, be different than what I cherish. So whatever you cherish and whatever you sometimes may possibly, quite possibly put before the Lord, he wants that thing. That thing. And for Jonathan, it's going to be different than me, right? That's just the way it is. Or maybe it's the same because maybe we have the same hang-ups. I don't know. What do you cherish? Time? The right to be right? That's probably the one that I really had to deal with. The money thing I'm cool with. The right to be right and prove my way. I was the one that he wants. Shut your mouth, bro. Okay, father, I'll shut it. Just shut it. You don't have to be proven correct. Just be quiet. Okay. Okay. Can I just give money away and then I could be right? No. You can keep your money, but you can't be right. Ah! Can I just buy my way to be right? No, no, bud. You got you to get it done. Okay. Here is the thing, right? You, we, we can't make these blanket consumer-based identity models for believers. We're all unique and beautiful in his image, but we all have our own unique pasts, and we all have our unique idols. He wants the thing, whatever it is that you are really cherishing, Right? And that's what we see in the model of what it means to be a disciple. And that's why to a rich, young ruler, it is money. And to another person that probably has some family issues, it's family. And to another person that is dealing, dealing with fears and needs and wants, he's saying, you're going to lay that down. Right? Someone who is really cherishing their community and it's all about the village and it's all about the town. He's like, man, foxes don't even have a place to go. You got to follow me. You're not going to be able to be rooted in a town or a village, right? Whatever you have, man, you can tell by what gets your, 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 your spiritual things flared up, right? I'm telling you, Jesus is not convincing you to follow him. He's doing the opposite. He's doing the complete opposite. You don't want to follow him because you don't have what it takes. 
I'm here if you want it, but to do it, you have to lay down the thing that you cherish. Whatever you may cherish, whatever you may put before the Lord, and I mean whatever, whatever, ministry, church, family, your son, your daughter, being right, money, career path, 401k, whatever it is, whatever you cherish, he's like, I want that. And I'm telling you, the greatest liberation is this. Like King David, search me, O Lord, show it to me, and I want to give it to you before it even becomes a problem. Get ahead of the curve. How wonderful would it be if Jesus comes to you and says, I wanted X, but you already gave it to me. How awesome it is. How faithful you were, and you are my good and faithful servant. I am telling you, it is one of the most amazing things. There have been times when I've like, you know, tax return season. You know, a little federal stimulus check that we got in the mail. When you feel the pull of its weight and its glory. And you're like, you know what I'm going to do? Before it even gets there, I'm going to give some of it away or all of it away. Just give it away. I don't even want it to have a place of root. We did that on the first, and I'm just, I, I hate saying things like We did that on the first uh, COVID stimulus. Took the money and just gave it away to everyone that we could think of that needed it, right? It's like, I don't want that sting. I don't want that taste. I don't want that thing. And I'm telling you, like, within weeks, we got the money right back. Random check in the mail from someone. It's like, why are people, why, why are people giving us money? Lord was like, because you gave the money away to someone who was in need. And uh, within a week later, I get this random check from some ministry in Pennsylvania that's like, oh, you're a pastor. You must be, like, kind of hard up during COVID time. Here's a huge, a decent check. I was like, uh, what? We weren't hit at all, but it was just, it was crazy. All I'm saying here is the point of the lesson is this. I'm telling you, the Lord loves it when you just put it down on the table before he even asks you to put it on the table, right? For you to recognize the thing, the thing, the relationship, the money, whatever, just lay, just give it to him. It's amazing. He's like, I, I, I'm going to smash the idol. You don't have to tell me to smash the idol. I'm going to smash the idol before it even becomes a problem, Right? Where was I? I don't know. Yeah. Whatever you may cherish, whatever you may put before the Lord. Okay? All right, let's, uh, let's shoot over to Luke. Uh-oh. I hope this is Luke 19. I can't read my handwriting. Well, so I don't look so silly. Eh? Well, that's what I have to lay down. I think it's Luke 11. No, it's not. Why is that? Is that a 9 or a 7, Dave? No, it's lepers. I think it's 19. 20? Yes, okay. Luke chapter 19, verse 28. Luke 19, verse 28. It's the same story of, of Matthew, just a little, little different rendition. When he had said this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem, and it came to pass when he drew near Bethpage and Bethany at the mountain called Olivet, that's Mount of Olives, that he sent two of his disciples, saying, Go into the village opposite you, where as you enter you will find a colt tied, on which no one has ever sat. I'm going to read that again. You will enter, you will find a donkey or a colt, right, tied on which no one, no one has ever sat. 
loose it and bring it here. And if anyone asks you why you are loosing it, thus you shall say to him, because the Lord has need of it. Okay? This is amazing. Uh, this is really amazing. Uh, what we have here is Jesus is going to fulfill prophecy by sitting on the back of a donkey or the colt, right? And what's so amazing here, if you read in the lines of the story, no one has ever sat on the donkey. That donkey was made by God. Its mother gave birth to the donkey for one single purpose, and that was to what? Bear, carry the Lamb of God into a city. He has never been used. And he's never been used, and he, but he was, he, was, he was designed for this given purpose. But he's never been used before. And the only thing that's keeping him from being ushered into his destiny is two things. For a disciple of Jesus to say, it's, it's time. Wow. It's time. And for a rope. And a rope to be untied. Untie the rope. Loosen it. You see, guys, let's bring it to today. It doesn't matter if it's Jerusalem 2,000 years ago or if it's Bristol today or it's Philadelphia today. This is the reality. The reality is this. To enter the holy city, the lamb, needs to be carried by a donkey. And I'm telling you right now, who's the donkey? You and I. You and I are the vehicle to make the entrance of Jesus real to people. But we cannot be used until someone says, go, it's time, be used. And we cannot be used unless the ropes come off of us. We cannot be used until the ropes come off of us. We need to loosen the ropes in order to follow the message of Jesus. Let's go to Hebrews right now. Hebrews chapter 12. And uh, can we have uh, whomever is going to be... Uh, kind of doing worship at the end, it'd be great. This is a, this is a little bit of a different Palm Sunday message. Yes, praise you that you have come are, to save us, but come on, man. What are you saving us from? Eternal damnation? All right, that's cool. I feel like the Lord is saying he wants more. Save us from our mind, our thoughts, the way that we act, our baggage of the past. And what he's also speaking this year is this. Come on. There's a city. There's a city. There's a city that needs to see Jesus. But he needs a donkey to bring it in. But there's a bunch of donkeys that are sitting by the barn. They're just sitting by the barn. And they're not doing what they're supposed to do. Because no one has believed in them. No one has said, your time has come. That's it. And you haven't allowed. You haven't allowed the rope to come off of you. Uh, like the donkey, you do not untie yourself, but rather you allow yourself to be untied. Look, the, the entanglements of sin, you cannot break them, people. With all due respect, sin is more powerful than you, okay? It is. You're dealing with an issue, you're dealing with junk, you're dealing with whatever it is, you cannot untie it, okay? Let, let me just save you a lot of time and energy and cranky families. You cannot untie yourself. Because most of the time, 
The one that is trying to untie is the person who actually tied the knot. Catch this. You cannot untie yourself from a sin of a sin that you put yourself in. What you're going to do is you're just going to make the knot tighter. Come on. Most, most of the things that we do, not because the enemy is doing it, because you've done it. Because putting a tie, a, a rope around the mouth of a donkey next to the barn is very convenient. It's very safe. Because you know what's next to the barn? The food. You know what's next to the barn? The shelter. You know what's next to the barn? The guidance of the farmer who's going to take care of me. It's very convenient to stay on the property of the barn, right? It's like the old saying, right? Ships are safest in harbor, but that's not what ships were made for. You got to undo the chain, but you can't do it, man. I'm telling you, I've tried. The only thing, the only thing that will untie you is a belief and an, understand, and an understanding of the destiny of God. That your mothers, 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 all the way back to the time of Eve, was born and created and had progeny because you have a destiny for this moment now. And what's the destiny? To bear the Lamb of God in a city. And when we step into that understanding, when we open ourselves up and say, Jesus, have your way with me. Get rid of anything that I cherish, the safety of the barn, the convenience of the barn. Go and take it from me, dear Jesus, and you will be released. Can't do it yourself. I'm telling you, if you want to talk to me privately, I can tell you the years of stuff that I was trying to untie and trying to untie and trying to untie. And I tie it and I get going and I realize that there's another rope on my one leg. And I tie that rope, and I'm doing well, and boom, my right leg has another tie that I didn't even see. But when we invite Jesus so you can have everything that I cherish, and I lay it down at the feet of Jesus, and I open up my arms, and I open up my spirit, and I say, I want to be free. Even though those things that were entangling me made me feel free. No, they don't make you feel free. They make you dependent. The most, the most horrendous thing. Joseph Stalin, the, the infamous, horrible communist dictator, right? Says it's essentially coming off of Machiavelli. Says it's better to be feared than loved, if not both. See, what, what makes things so oppressive is that the donkey loved his rope. Don't lose this. Don't lose this. I beg of you, do not lo lose this. Because we are entering into a chapter of humanity. We're entering into a chapter in the United States of America where the donkeys of the Lord need to be released. And they have a prophetic voice like Balaam, Balak. You, there is a release that has to happen. And I'm telling you people, many people love the thing that oppresses them. We love the thing that oppresses us. It gives us comfort. It gives us a grid to understand. 
And the thing is, if, if I am getting a little upset and I am getting a little nervous and I am getting a little worry, worrisome, I know that if I go back to that thing, it will provide the comfort for me again. You know what that's called? Do you know what that's called? That thing that you go to, that's your God. It's your God. Provides the comfort. The rope becomes the God. The chain becomes. God, everyone's changed to something, as Paul not said. Exchange the chains of sin in order to take on purposely the chains of love of Jesus. Hebrews chapter 12, 1 through 4. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Set aside every weight, the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Temporary difficulty for joy that is set before us. And so what we have here is really the first part. It's not the first part of the message. This little bit at the end will be, I, it might be a little much for some of you, but I, I think, I really do think that the Lord is going to have us maybe do a sermon series on it. So I want to at least get it out there because it's the second part of the story of, of Palm Sunday. The first is, right, you, you need to believe that you were born for this purpose. Two, you need to allow yourself to be untied by the power of the cross, by the power of the Holy Spirit. And you have to say, look, I don't, want the, I don't want the rope anymore. I don't want the rope. I'm in love with the rope. I need to get rid of that rope. That rope, that chain has become my God. I want to get rid of it. Lord, I lay it down and I allow you to be the one who ushers me into the place of freedom. Right? But here's the thing. The donkey is released through its freedom to do what? To bring Jesus. Luke 10. A little bit of a longer piece of scripture, but I'm telling you, we, we, we need, we need to, re, we need to recorrect the ship of the church in this hour. Luke chapter 10, verse 1. After these things, the Lord appointed 70. Say 70. 70 others also and set them two by two before his face into every city and place where he himself was about to go where he himself was about to go then he said to them the harvest truly is great but the laborers are few therefore pray the lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest what we have here in Luke chapter 10 is a model to what it looks like to be a disciple. It's a model of what it looks like for the donkey, for the person to enter into the city and do the work of a disciple. We pray. Pray, Lord, bring the laborers for the harvest. Pray, Lord, bring laborers for the harvest of an end time global 
revival, Lord. We pray, bring laborers that are ready for my street and for my town. Lord, we pray, we pray, we intercede. Bring the laborers, okay? Then there is a sending out of the laborers into the harvest. But the key here is Jesus says, you are going to go to the places where I am already going. Where I'm already going to prepare the soil. Go your way. Behold, I send you out as lambs among wolves. Gather, gather, carry, sorry, neither money bag nor knapsack nor sandals and greet no one along the road. This is a model for evangelism. Is a model to make new disciples. Does he say take a track? Take a business plan. Take a church website. Carry neither money bag, knapsack, nor sandal, and greet no one along the road. But whatever house you enter, first say peace to the house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest on it. If not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking such things as they give. For the laborer is worthy of his wages. Do not go from house to house, whatever city you enter, and they receive you. Eat such things as are set before you. And boom! In case there's any doubt of what this church believes. And heal the sick there. And say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But whatever city you enter and they do not receive you, go out into the streets and say the very dust of your city which clings to us, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God come, has come near you. There is so much that are loaded there, but I want you to just, for, thi for this purpose right here, is for you to take a look at a first century Jesus-centered model for being a disciple. Right there takes a lot of time. This isn't, do you know Jesus? This isn't, here's my track. Hey, you want to come to church? This isn't any of that. The model that Jesus brings forth is a reason why the churches of America are not full. Because the greatest chain that is upon the American church is the idol of time bar none. You're going to pray and intercede for the laborers to come into your town? Once you're done that, you're going to go into a city with nothing on you, and you're going to say hello to people, and you're going to talk to people. And then what's the next model? You give them peace, you say hello to them, and that these people will now do what? Don't miss it. They're going to come to church with you now. No. What does it say? They will invite you into, your ha into their house and you will sit down with them and you'll be a human being with them and you'll befriend them and you'll be involved with them. And then you pray and see them be healed. You see, Western Christianity wants it as a timestamp. Thursday night, we're going to have an evangelism meeting. So everyone come on out. We're going to pray for five minutes and then we're going to knock on doors. That's not Jesus. That's why I never liked it. Anyone else never like it? Anyone else feel very intimidated? Anyone feel like something's wrong? I feel fake? I feel like a Jehovah's Witness? Come on, anyone? It's because the model that Jesus sets forth is not that. The model that Jesus sets forth is pray that the Holy Spirit would lead you and direct you to pinpoint accurate places of location 
that the Holy Ghost fire will come. So have a prayer meeting. Be nice to people. Say hello to people. Don't be rushing around to your next event. And when there's peace, you're going to go into their home. And you're going to eat with them. And you're going to fellowship with them. How can we do that when we eat by heating up chicken nuggets that take 10 minutes? There's a lot in this passage. There's so much in this passage which I'm believing the Lord is going to direct us to uncover. But I just want to encourage us today that in order to be released into the city, you first have to be released from the rope. And the other thing that we need to be released from is this Western Christianity, which says, you know what? Sunday is good enough. Right? We need to get to a place where we are really believing that our time is not our God. Our convenience is not our God. Jesus is our Lord. And so I have to give up time. Yes, if you are serious about the gospel of Jesus, you need to give up your time. But I know time is money. I know. If you're serious about being a disciple of Jesus, you have to give up your money and your time which will give you more money. If you are not submitted to that, you are saved from eternal damnation. Praise the Lord. But you are not saved from yourself. And you are not saved from culture. And you will have zero impact. That is why, with all due respect, the church of the West is up against ropes. We want to be saved. We want to be saved for heaven purposes. But we don't want to be inconvenienced. I'll preach the gospel when it's not an inconvenience. Dude, this is Luke 10. Matthew 10 is serious. It's like you're praying, you're having a prayer meeting, and then from the prayer meeting, you're like, Lord, expose and show us who the person is that I'm supposed to interact with. Then you interact with them, then you go into their home, and you have dinner with them, and you talk with them, and then you pray and set them free. You know what's also amazing about this? It's just going like, to blow your mind away. Is that in Luke 10 and Matthew 10, those 70 that are sent out, are they believers? They're not even believers yet. Well, I know. When I first heard this too, I was shocked. Do those 70 that go out that Jesus commissions before the death and resurrection, do they believe in Christian theology? That is, that Jesus is the Son of God. That he took on the sins of the world upon a cross. That he died and took on sin and was resurrected three days later and ascended into heaven next to the right-hand throne of God. Do they believe that? No! Because it hasn't happened yet. So, if we see the 70 return. We see the 70 return, and they're astonished about what happens. What's Jesus' response? Don't be praising and joyous that demons leave people when you pray. Rather rejoice in the power of Jesus and the coming of their salvation. If they do that and they're not born again yet and they're not filled with the Holy Ghost yet, oh boy, what would it look like? Come on, let's stand up. I know this is much. I want, to make, I want to make sure that we don't lose this punchline. 
brace yourself. I'm gonna like feel, I'm gonna wreck your theological mind right now. Listen here, right? These are people, I want to understand this. These are 70 people who do not believe in the death and resurrection of Jesus yet. That would mean they are not born again, correct? If they're not born again, they're not sons and daughters of a living God, correct? The Holy Ghost did not fall in power yet, so they're surely not baptized in fire, correct? Correct. But, but, they are astonished when they come back because they say we were sent out and we prayed for people and demons were fleeing. I pray for people and I don't see demons really fleeing. I don't go into people's homes and see people accepting the word of Christ. I don't get it. I have been born again. I have the Spirit of God and I was baptized in the Holy Ghost. I just pray in tongues. I prophesy. I get words of knowledge. But I'm not running back to Jesus. It's amazing how many people are being set free. But then people who aren't even born again and aren't baptized in the Holy Spirit, they're setting people free. I don't get it. What's the difference? They did the formula that God said. They did what God said to do in Luke 10. They took their time and gave it to Jesus. You can have Holy Ghost fire. You can have a revelation of the words of Christ through the Spirit of God. But if you do not lay your time down at Jesus, then these guys who weren't even saved yet will be more effective. You want Holy Ghost fire this Easter season? We want to see a great revival of the Lord? Just do what 70 unbelieved, non-saved, non-Holy Ghost filled people did. Time Money is not my God. My God is this man who he is saying is his father. I don't even completely understand it yet, but this is who I follow. Amazing! Time, resources, and giving that to the Father, in fact, may in fact trump any Holy Ghost fire that you have. Because you're not doing what he tells you to do. Lord, we come before you, and Lord, I just pray that this is received. Because Lord, I want, I desperately want first to see people released from the ropes that they have put upon themselves. Lord, I long to see deliverance so that donkey can be free. So that donkey could be released into its destiny. So that donkey could bear the Lamb of God into a city. Holy Ghost, I pray right now on this cloudy, rainy day, release the ropes, Jesus. Release the ropes, oh God. Release the chains, oh God, of convenience. The chains of money. The chains of time.
power. Release it in this day. So we all could say that we are truly free. And so that, Lord, at the least, at the very least, we could be as effective. At the very least, we could be as effective as 70 guys who are not even born again yet. Oceana, save us. Lord, we thank you that you have saved us to bring us into the pearly white gates, into the throne room of God, into eternal salvation. But Lord, I ask right now that you save us. You save us from any rope, any chain, any culture, any perception, anything that is still holding us back from being released into our destiny as disciples, as sons and daughters of the Most High God. Lord, release that and save us from that right now. Release us from that right now. Right now in Jesus' name. Release it. Lord, I break it right now in Jesus' name. It must be broken in Jesus' name by the Spirit of God and by the blood of Jesus. Because to follow Him is the most amazing thing that could ever behold a human being. But foxes has no, have nowhere to lay their head. So let it be so. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a glorious Holy Week. Hag Sameach or happy Passover for those that are observing. See you Friday. Good Friday.